0: Hey everyone, welcome back to our podcast edition. This is Claire. And this is Cece. And greetings, listeners. This is our letter to the podcast edition of season three, episode three. And we have a guest with us today. His name is Chris and he hosts the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. He's actually with us on call right now. Chris, could you please introduce yourself?
1: Hi, how are you? My name is Chris Spear and like you said, I am the host of the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast and uh, as I in my day job, I work as a personal chef with a business called Perfect Little Bites. So, uh, been in the food world for almost thirty years now.
0: That's actually a really cute name. How did you come up with that, um, little bite?
1: Perfect little bites. Yeah, um, I I used to, well, I still do, go out to eat with my wife, and we always like to get as many different things as possible at, at a restaurant. Yeah. So we would always get different things and then kind of trade bites. And, you know, a perfect little bite has every single component on it. So we always wanted to make sure, you know, you took the fork or spoon and you got every single thing, the meat, the vegetable, the sauce, and we would trade, you know, fork or spoon and say, here's your perfect little bite. And I jokingly said, if I ever have a business, that's what I would call it. Joking, not thinking that I would ever actually have a business. Uh, And then it started as a food blog like 15 years ago. And that's what I called it. So when I started my business, I'm like, well, I don't know what else to call it. So I'll call it Perfect Little Bites.
0: That's really sweet. I'm sure your wife loved it. Yeah. Um, so going first going back to your podcast, if you were to elevator pitch it, how would you do it?
1: Every week, I speak with food entrepreneurs and people in the culinary industry not working in traditional restaurant settings. So think personal chefs, caterers, food truck operators, farmers, distillers, uh, just people doing really interesting things in the food world outside of a traditional restaurant setting.
0: And for your podcast, what is the origin story? So in other words, why did you start it?
1: Well, I started it, actually, Chefs Without Restaurants was a community that I built Uh, three years before I started the podcast. And that's because as a personal chef, everyone was always asking me to tell my story. Uh, People would want to meet up for coffee or beer and say, Hey, I really want to leave my restaurant job and be a personal chef. Can you tell me how to do it? And after a while that got kind of tiring and I couldn't really scale that. And I wasn't charging for consulting. So I said, well, you know, why don't we start like a little Facebook community? We'll have a Facebook group and we can share Um, gig opportunities and resources and just kind of build a little community around all these people that I knew in my local area, which is the Washington, D.C. area, who were doing things like this. And the community actually ended up with like 400 members within the first week of launch. And I realized I had something much bigger, but I still didn't really think about the podcast until uh, October of 2019, when uh, a local food truck guy, he was helping me with one of my parties and we were just driving home from a gig and he said, why aren't you doing a podcast? And my answer was, because I have no idea how to do a podcast. And he thought that he wanted to explore that with me. So the two of us actually started the podcast together. And while Andrew's no longer with me, um, it, it kind of stuck. And I've now done 115 episodes of the podcast.
0: If people were looking to you for advice, right, on building their personal chef business or whatever they were doing outside of the traditional like restaurant, who were you looking for when you started or who are you looking at or asking for advice when you started?
1: Yeah. I mean, I was definitely looking at other people who had done it. I think the hard thing is, is so many of us are, uh we have restaurant backgrounds. So, you know, like I went to school to be a chef and I had some administration experience, you know, like HR stuff, hiring, firing, but you know, when you go out on your own and have no one working with you, uh, marketing is a big part of it. Like, how do I find clients? Um, you know, things like web design, like, oh, I need to have a website. Uh, I don't have a lot of money, so how do I, how do I make a website? Like, how, how should I best be using social media? So all the stuff other than cooking. And I think that's the biggest challenge in our industry. So many of us are the practitioners, the chefs, if you will, uh, and we don't know how to do any of that stuff. So I just started looking at what other people were doing, although there weren't a lot of people doing it when I started. So I just kind of had to tinker and I actually had to look in other industries and see what other people were doing, kind of guerrilla marketing type stuff. Um, and then once I started to figure some of it out, I wanted to share that information with other people.
0: Perfect. <laughs> oh. Oh, I was just thinking, like, there's so many different aspects when you're starting your own business. It's not just the content you want to give out. It's pretty much everything else that comes with it.
1: Yeah. And, you know, like uh, being a personal chef in someone's home is so different than being a restaurant chef. You know, you really have to be an entertainer. A lot of us got into it because we're artistic and introverted and like the idea of being behind closed doors in a restaurant kitchen. Mm -hmm. But then you realize you go in someone's home where you're like, Center stage, right, and people want to talk to you. Like, you go into every situation having no idea what you're going to get into. There might be dogs running around and cats up on the counter. Are you okay with that? There might be kids in there who are like asking you a million questions, or drunk adults asking you a million questions, oh, or yeah, true. you know, people having weird, uncomfortable conversations in front of you and earshot. Like, I do bachelorette parties. Like, I don't know if you've ever been to a bachelorette party, but those get pretty crazy. And just to kind of <laughs> like be there, cooking, holding your composure while there's like balloon penises hanging on the wall you know it's just like um you know every kind of situation is a little different and you know as good a cook or chef as you think you are you also have to be uh ready to be on stage every day
0: and um referencing back to like when you first started say um your blog and then your podcast what were the reactions of the people around you so like your friends family
1: I think people loved it. I mean, the blog and the podcast are two different things. You know, the blog is, is really easy-ish mm-hmm. in comparison. You know, I was very comfortable with recipe development and taking food photos, so putting that stuff out, and that was really more customer-facing. Like, that was uh, to get business. You know, I wanted to show my portfolio, and I was really, you know, just repurposing a lot of stuff that I had created over the years, so... You know, that was good, and I got a lot of great reactions from people who said, you know, I love the recipes. I want you to make this for me. The podcast was different because I didn't know anything about it. Um, Everyone was, for the most part, supportive when we started. But I have to say, I didn't know anything about making a good quality podcast, and uh, it wasn't good. Like, if anyone listens to the first episodes, I didn't know how to edit for content. Like, I would have hour and a half conversations that I wouldn't cut at all. But also, like, I didn't know how to level audio um, levels. I didn't know how to do noise reduction. And, like, the people that I thought I was building this for actually weren't supporting it. Like, I saw a really good friend who has a food truck, and I bumped into him in Costco, and he said, you know, i got to be honest. Like, I listen to a couple shows, and it's kind of unlistenable. Uh, so I just don't listen anymore. And that was kind of heartbreaking for me, but I think it was something I needed to hear that, like, oh, the – the people that I literally thought I was making this for don't like this show. I need to get it together and like figure out how to make a good quality
0: sounding show. It's like good constructive criticism though, even though it's kind of, I guess, harsh, it's a harsh reality, but it's kind of, I feel like a wake up call. That, that, oh, definitely. I how to do this.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'd rather have someone tell me that it doesn't sound good. Like the people who are closest to you, like if the people who are closest to you aren't telling you like how it is, like, what about the people who you don't even know like they're not even going to give you feedback they're just going to move on like we have so little time i you know i heard a statistic just this week that the average podcast consumer dedicates about six hours max a week to listening so if you have like an hour plus show and it's not good they're not going to be listening to you they're going to move on to something else
0: all right absolutely so why were you interested in podcasts specifically out of all media for example why did you not start a YouTube channel instead?
1: Well, editing video is ridiculously challenging. Um, True. (laughs) But beside that, I just think the um, passive nature of it is great. You know, I'm someone who, as I was building my first business, I listened to a lot of podcasts while I was on the road. I, you know, I was commuting about an hour each way every day to my job. So I had two hours in the car. And for me, that's, I started listening to business podcasts, things around, you know, marketing, um, you know, just that kind of stuff. I was like, oh, this is great. You know, it's like getting a free education while I'm on the road. So I wanted to do the same thing. Like chefs could listen to it even while they're working in the kitchen, like instead of listening to music, like put it on and listen to it for inspiration. It's a good way to digest a lot of information. Like you, for a YouTube video, you have to have it open and watching the screen. Although nobody really wants to watch like a uh, audio podcast, um, mm-hmm. though I have. So I just like the idea of being able to get a lot of information to people who were maybe also doing other things. I mean, I listen to podcasts while I go for walks while I'm doing the dishes while I'm grocery shopping. Uh, and I'm hoping that, and I know a lot of my
0: listeners do the same. So going um, in terms of like your episodes, what were your preparations? Like, is there a routine you stick to every week? Do you write out like what you're going to say, questions in bullet points or just like, a, like a guide?
1: Yeah. Maybe? So now I have questions. So I have a master questions list that I use as mm-hmm. a framework for almost everyone. You know, in the beginning, it's definitely, give me a little bit about your background as it relates to food. Like, Talk about your upbringing. Were you always interested in food? And I give them, you know, 10, maybe 15 minutes at the most to talk about that. Um, and then I have questions that are uh, based around their background. So I do a lot of research into my guests. So, you know, last week it was someone who is a chef who has African heritage and talks a lot about, like, inequality in the food world. So we really wanted to spend time on, you know, cooking Ghanaian food, you know, and, and she's got a cookbook that just came out last week. So I want to talk about that. So it's very much related to the guest. Um, and then I have like a bunch of, I don't want to call them filler questions, but some questions that everyone I try and get to answer. Like, I love um, what your favorite tools are. So I say, you know, like, what are some of your favorite culinary resources? You know, uh, YouTube channels, podcasts, cookbooks, um, it could be like a business book. So I ask them those kind of things because I also want the podcast to be beneficial to people who are looking to start a business and not just a food business. I want to help you if you're looking to start like uh, an art store, like maybe we can teach you some stuff about marketing or customer acquisition, you know, or give you something to think about uh, pricing your product. So I do try to ask those questions. It just depends on how long the show is going. So I always have more questions uh, that I would like to ask than I actually do.
0: So. Seeing that you have your main personal chef business, Perfect Little Bites, aside from your podcast, how exactly do you manage your time between those two passions?
1: It's definitely prioritizing. I mean, Perfect Little Bites is paying the bills. Chefs without restaurants mm. generates some income. As far as like, um, we have a Patreon. We, you know, I have ad sponsors, but it's not enough that I could only do that right now. So, you know, I'm looking at tomorrow. I have a party for ten people and. Uh, Saturday, I have a party for 22. So, you know, I need today to be focusing on prep for those parties because that's what's going to make me the money to keep me afloat this month. And then just kind of looking at how I allocate my time otherwise. So, you know, the podcast is the next chunk, like actually editing the show and getting it out every week. Um, so in the hierarchy, that's kind of how it goes. Uh, but you know, if I want it to be a much bigger thing, I need to spend some time focusing on sponsorship stuff. So that's probably about 20% of my time. Like right before we hopped on this call, I just recorded a uh, pod, uh, an ad read for a new sponsor. So today I'm hoping to finish that up because they want to start uh, paying to sponsor the show in November, which means by next Tuesday's episode, I need to have that ready to go. So it's a very uh, very fine balancing act there
0: do you usually reach out to them or do they usually reach out to you? The like the
1: sponsors. It's a little of both, to be honest. Um, The sponsors that I want, I feel like I have to reach out to Mm -hmm. with with sponsors. The people who reach out to you are very generic. Uh, They might be a bigger name business with more money, but like, do I want, you know, some, I don't know, accounting firm to be the sponsor of my show. Like that doesn't necessarily make sense. So one of my new sponsors is a company that um, produces grits. Like I love grits. It's a product that I use in my cooking. This is a, a company that I've literally been buying product from for two years. So I sent them a DM through Instagram. Like they follow me, they share my stuff. and I reached out and said, you know, I don't know if you do ads. I've never seen an ad especially on a podcast, but like here, would you consider it? And they said, sure, send me info. And I did. And now I'm having them as a sponsor, which it makes much more sense for me to have them as a sponsor on my show than some like random company that people are going to skip the ad.
0: That's true. I feel like when I'm listening to podcasts, um, especially in, um, usually they put the ads in the very beginning or some podcasts, like kind of disperse them throughout the the episode but i do get put off when it doesn't match with what the um like the podcast is about
1: oh yeah and eventually uh those sponsors will pull like if it doesn't work right like if i had mm-hmm. an auto mechanic as a sponsor on my podcast how many months are they going to pay for that if they're not getting gas or uh, you know getting referrals from that so and, and the difference is um There's different ways to make money off of ads, and I am exclusively right now doing ones that pay regardless of conversion. Some of the ads are set up where, um, you know, like they give you a promo code and people use the promo code and you only get paid if people click on that. Uh, So then the company doesn't care if nobody's clicking because like they're getting free advertising, like if that makes sense. And I don't yeah. and I don't want to do that. And I think you also have to have a level of trust with this company. Like I'm trusting that they would be self reporting how many clicks I got. No, I'd rather just get paid a hundred dollars a week for an ad read. Makes sense.
0: Were there any setbacks or hardships that you ran into when managing your podcast?
1: Um, well, I don't know if it's a setback because ultimately it made the show better. But like I had mentioned, I had a co host. So we started this show together. And we were only interviewing people in person, uh, you know, which kind of limited us to, you know, an hour's drive here in the D.C. area. And we would be interviewing people usually. And there was a brewery locally that let us interview people. But when COVID hit, he had to drop out like this was his idea, not mine. And actually, he was more of the host than I was. Like he was picking most of the guests, doing the questions, and I was doing the editing type stuff. And then Mm. COVID hit, he uh, had to lay off some of his employees and then just pick up most of the work himself and said, you know, I, I don't have time to do this anymore. Uh, And then with, you know, so many unknowns of COVID, we weren't really comfortable meeting with people uh, and interviewing in person, but I decided, you know, I really wanted to continue this and my personal chef business, I like dropped off. I had no business uh, in March and April of 2020. So I just kind of decided, okay, I'm going to do this myself and I'm going to do it virtually. But, you know, at the time that seemed like a setback. Like I didn't know how to use Zoom. I had no idea what a portable, you know, at-home studio looked like. Uh, But I also didn't really know what direction I wanted to take the show in. So I had to kind of switch my focus. Now, mind you, I never took a week off. So I just like rolled with it and adapted. I had some shows that we had already recorded together. And I went with those and then I just started lining up guests. And there were there were a lot of technical issues using Zoom when I first started. Um, but I overcame that and now I love the show. I'm super happy that I'm doing it by myself. I don't want to co-host. I love doing Zoom because I can talk to people all over the world. And this is going to be how I continue my show. But at the time, it was really a big decision. Like, Am I going to do this thing by myself or not?
0: And uh, you just mentioned, like, all the interviewing in the brewery, and for us, like, especially Claire and I, we don't usually interview, well, we interview through Zoom, but we don't do our episodes out in the open, right, and how is that different from interviewing in person, especially in a live setting, versus intervie- uh interviewing over Zoom?
1: Yeah. um, I think controlling the actual sound is really hard in an open setting. What I'll say is the brewery wasn't great. Like we're in this big concrete room where there's a lot of echoey surfaces. Again, Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about podcasting. And and the more I read about it is like, you know, I'm in my office at home right now where I have carpet and I've put these, you know, like foam things on the walls and the ceiling to kind of soften the sound. So I think you actually get a better, cleaner sound. Also, you don't get the pick up from uh, someone else's mic you know it's hard when i'm sitting across the table from you and i speak uh there's a tendency for your microphone to pick that up and you get some echo so that gets so hard to edit uh in post-production um but i i feel like you sometimes have better rapport in front of people like you can see them uh see reactions uh you and i talked the other day about like zoom sometimes does this weird thing where uh, if two people are talking at once it, it yeah. cuts one off. So it sometimes makes the interview a little more rigid with more pause time. Uh and you don't have that natural like riffing off each other. So I find that I have to be more deliberate, speak a little slower, and give my guest time to stop before I start again. But all in all, I really do prefer doing it over Zoom via uh as opposed to in person.
0: It is much easier and you can just do it from the comfort of your own home as well. You don't need to drive all the way to see people
1: oh yeah we had some we had some snowy days where i threw all my stuff in the car and drove like an hour to baltimore you know and it's a whole it's a it's a whole day thing you know like if i'm driving an hour each way plus the time to like get all the stuff in and out and set up like right now you're on the west coast i'm on the east coast like i'm in you know sweatpants and a hoodie and this is going to take us just the time that it takes to record without commute time and setup time and all that it's so much more convenient
0: mm-hmm. and the people that you can interview that also expands so much more because you can people all over the world
1: oh yeah i would have started to run out of guests i mean there's a large enough pool of people you know mm-hmm. in this area but to be able to reach out to people that I absolutely love like my dream guests are not here in this area I mean I've talked to people in London I've talked to people in France and Canada and California and all over you know which is so cool that I wouldn't have had the opportunity I mean some podcasters drive around there's a guy I know and he drives all over the country like I need to start getting paid some real some real money to do this (laughs) thing full-time if I'm gonna get in my car and drive around and do it. Uh, and maybe someday that'll be a part of it. But right now it just, it doesn't make sense on any level.
0: Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. for other forms of media for your podcast, such as graphics, marketing material, press, etc., how do you create them?
1: Uh, I love using Canva. Do you know about the website Canva? Yeah.
0: Absolutely. I Canva.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Canva is amazing. So I have pretty much the same... Workflow every week. So I'm in Canva and I, you know, there's a square kind of Instagram template that I like to use, Mm -hmm. you know, where I can drop the headshot of my guest in with all that stuff. I've kind of developed what I like my brand colors. So now I can pretty much breeze through in under 10 minutes getting kind of those assets pulled together. Um, I was doing like the audiograms for a while that hadn't really done much for me. And that took more work. There's another website and I can't think of the name where you can actually upload video in and the audio. Um, but interesting stuff. I saw yesterday that Instagram is now opening up the link in stories to everyone, Mm -hmm. not just people over 10,000 followers. Yeah. They're rolling it out. (laughs) Yeah. So that is a game changer. So that will maybe make me rethink The whole audiogram thing because now if i can put it in instagram stories with a link to the episode i think that's going to be beneficial so Mm -hmm. i'm going to see how that goes i haven't gotten it yet i checked again this morning and i don't have that but they say you know now it's available to everyone um so i i I think within a week we'll have that and then i'll kind of look at like what i'm going to be changing there but for me the big thing is um just getting the info out to you know the, the people And I, you know, it's really hard looking at those things I create on Canva. They have less engagement. I think they don't push your posts if they have too much text in them or too much stuff that's not a photo. So I've actually been playing around with how I put that stuff out. Like sometimes I'll take your headshot and just put that, say, on my Instagram with the text in the body. And that'll do better than if I had that headshot in, you know, some kind of frame with the Episode number and the the their name, so every day you got to kind of see where that how the algorithms are working, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. I think I saw like I saw a lot of social media marketing um, experts, if if you could call them, and um and they've been making a lot of reels of how Instagram keeps saying, oh it's available now now now, but no not most of the people are not getting it.
1: Yeah. It's so exhausting. It's still, I mean, yeah. I, I don't want to spend all my time as a graphic designer or a social media expert. You know, it's like figuring out when I post on Facebook, like if I post the the link, like Facebook doesn't want people to leave their platform. So when you post a link, anything with the link, they don't really, you don't get as much traction on because they want to keep mm-hmm. people in Facebook. So how do you, you know, put that info on Facebook without them kind of like throttling you down you know and that takes a lot of time to figure out like i just want to make a good podcast and get it out there
0: so how has starting and running your podcast changed your views about consuming other media like especially listening to podcasts youtube channels and instagram
1: well i've been uh i think consuming a wider variety of things just to kind of help me with my style. But overall, I think I've been listening to less, if that makes sense. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I probably I also don't have as long a commute anymore as I used to. Um, But now, like, there's some shows that I really love and I usually listen to them all the way through. But I'm also trying to look at the charts and see who's doing really well in podcasting. And I'll just listen to a couple of their episodes and see what it is I like about that to try and see if there's any tips and tricks or anything I could use for my style. Like, where are they placing their ads in the show? Like, how much are they editing? Like, some of my favorite podcasters who have huge shows, I listen to them. And they leave all the ums and ahs. And they leave in some kind of, like, stammering stuff. Like, things that I clean up. It's like, oh, if Tim Ferriss doesn't need to edit that stuff out, maybe I don't either.
0: Yeah. I think when i don't know claire and i split up a lot of editing work but i do stutter a lot so i try to cut that out all the ums and ahs but at the same time i do realize it makes it more natural because i don't it's very rare that people in real life when they talk that they don't stumble or make filler words
1: and leaving an appropriate pause and you know Uh, a good long pause kind of indicates that the guest is reflecting on something. And I think the tendency Mm -hmm. is to cut out that 10 second pause. You know, you ask them a question, you don't want them to jump to it right away, which makes it sound like they know everything leaving in that 10 seconds where it's like, they really had to stop and think about it and, and gave you a deliberate answer. You know, I like having that in.
0: Right. There's like sometimes when pauses are actually good for the podcast. And, like, sometimes if you cut it out, it just seems so unnatural.
1: Yeah, it's and it, cre- it super, creates a yeah. ten- tension. That's something, you know, as I've uh taken courses on kind of, like, audio storytelling, like, you want to create that tension where your guest is almost, like, on the edge of their seat. Like, you ask this interesting question, and that gives the, the listener, like, five seconds to think, like, oh, what are they going to say, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. your podcast maybe changed you as a person for example like you said um your business your personal chef business required you to kind of be on stage practically the entire time you were doing the job so for your podcast for example connecting with people outside your normal social circle how has that changed you if at all
1: yeah well it's definitely made me more confident in public speaking and connecting with people. I mean, I've identified as an introvert my whole life, uh, and it gets really uncomfortable when you have to approach total strangers who you really admire and say, hey, you don't know me, but I love your work. Do you want to come on my podcast? Uh, mm-hmm. That that takes a lot. And, and then also uh, being brave because, you know, they might say no. And how... How are you gonna be with that rejection if this person you really admire just has no interest in coming on your show? Uh, so there's that. It's changed my worldview because I'm really trying to get a diverse group of guests on my show. And people who have amazing stories that have such a different background. You know, I grew up in a very middle class, but like white community. Like I think we had three african-american kids in my graduating class of high school of like 200 and something oh you know yeah um and very very few other uh, nationalities represented there but you know then i kind of moved around the country and I've lived in big cities so I'm, I'm used to it now i've lived in seattle and boston and minneapolis and mm. the philly area now dc but having these people come on and really share a very different view, you know when you have people coming on talking about how they were first generation Americans and their parents were immigrants and they were you know grew up poor and eating you know literal scraps that they got at the market, like that's you know something that i'm not used to hearing. I didn't know anyone with those experiences or or people who deal with on a daily basis like i am privileged i'm white but america with a college mm-hmm. education you know like straight like that's not most of my guess actually and some of that's been deliberate is sharing my platform with people who maybe don't have a platform of their own um and having them come on and share their story and admitting when i'm not right and saying like hey thanks i hadn't really thought about that so for me it's been really transformative in that like it's forced me to kind of change how I think about things.
0: And speaking of those moments where you admitted you were wrong or like learned something new, do you have like an aha moment or a positive one where you thought to yourself, I'm so glad I continued or I started this podcast?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's not like a big aha moment. It's, it's more mm-hmm. reflection. And it happens more in the editing because I'm listening to my show at least twice. So yeah. I try to really be in the moment when I'm interviewing, but it is kind of hard to have those like big aha moments, right? Like, um, because I am still kind of thinking about like what the next question is. Uh, I do want to be there and have this great reflective moment with the guest. But it is when I put my headphones on and I'm by myself and I'm listening to it, you're like, wow, that is really powerful. Because I also, uh, for my show at the beginning of the show, I put like a one minute uh, clip uh, as the teaser. So I'm always looking out for like, what is the most important thing they said or the most meaningful or most impactful? So I'm like really on high alert looking for those stories and teachable moments. So when I'm listening to it, that's when it hits. And sometimes there's like, five of those moments in an episode or more.
0: And another type of sort of moment is, is there a specific episode that um, you find that, how do I say? your? I would say your favorite episode. I know when we talked, you mentioned that you love all your episodes as we do for our guest interviews mm-hmm. as well. But if there is one, Would
1: you like to share it? Wow, that is really hard. And that probably changes like every time I get asked. Uh, Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed having Chef Michael Twitty on my show. He's actually an author. Um, He is a culinary historian, but he's someone who's just so intelligent, but he tells it like it is. So he is um, like a, a, yeah, he's a, a culinary historian. So basically one of his jobs was working at Colonial Williamsburg in Virginia um, and kind of representing what cooking was like as a black man back in those days. You know, and at the time, a lot of the people working at places like that were just actors and didn't really know how things were. And he said, like, I want to go out and literally pick cotton so that I know what it's like to pick cotton and not just be like an actor who read about picking cotton and can talk about it, but actually do it. And he you know, really took great care with the garden that they had there, making sure that they were growing the foods that were available of the time, and would make himself available to talk to the people coming through. So again, like, really knowing his stuff, and not just being an actor playing a part, but really getting into it. Because he is a Black man who has, you know, roots uh, in his family of people who came up, you know, in the South, uh, descendants of slaves and so forth. So really, Taking that to heart and kind of putting his all into it, and has since written a book about it, and has gone on to, you know, uh, wide acclaim for uh, his work.
0: It's very cool. I really like that approach. So then, you know, you're actually experiencing it, so merely really acting it out.
1: Yeah, and and to have people who like have a connection to that, right? It's mm-hmm. because <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna come through, and wanting to make sure not only that the visitors understand a little more, but really that like he could answer questions, right? Like he is is so well read and well versed and then ended up writing a book about this that's won all kinds of awards and stuff. And just, he's like an amazing person and so funny and someone who's been very supportive of me over the years, like way back when I started my blog. So I've known him for probably a decade now. Uh-huh. So to get to have him come on the show was really awesome.
0: Do you keep in touch with your podcast uh, guests?
1: Yeah, I would say 90 plus percent of them. So most of them are part of the community. You know, like I've always Mm -hmm. said, Chefs Without Restaurants isn't me, it's we. You know, uh, so many of them before they come on the show are, you know, followers on Instagram, are members of the Facebook group. And just people I've known for a long time. I don't really love to have people on as guests that I don't know <laughs> or know of. Uh, you know, I think that that's hard. Like, you usually have to do, like, a pretty good, like, hour-long pre-interview. But also, you just don't know what you're getting. And I get a lot of people who have their PR person reach out to me and, like, pitch them. And they come on the show, and they're really just there for them. Like, they're there to talk about them and how great they are and their thing is. And then when the show comes out, they don't share it on social media. They don't interact with anyone. And it's just like, I'm not really interested in that. Like, I want to build a community of people who are super excited to be there. Uh, So, you know, like our whole Instagram feed is the work of Chefs Without Restaurants. Like, it's not my work. I have my own Instagram. It's Perfect Little Bites. Chefs Without Restaurants, like, I'm going through and picking amazing looking dishes or stories from people who are chefs that don't have restaurants and I share that work and other members are commenting on that and sharing that and we're having great conversations in the comments. Like that's what I wanna have and not just some random person come on we talk for an hour and then I don't hear from them. I mean, I've had those, but that is very rare. There are very few people who I don't keep in contact with. Uh, Some of them I talk to on a daily basis. Some of them are part of my inner circle now where I send them interviews ahead of time, especially if I'm not sure. Like I'll do an an interview that I don't think is great. And after I'm done editing it, I'll just like DM them a link and say, you know, like, can you listen to this and tell me what you think? And they'll tell me, yeah, it's, no, I think it's great. Or like, no, uh, I don't think you should air this. And it's nice to have a inner circle of people like that. Hmm. So just to
0: wrap this up, what is one lesson or takeaway you've learned from creating and running your podcast?
1: Hmm. Uh, for me, it's that storytelling is key to this. Uh, it's key to what I want to do as much as I wanted to make an informational podcast. That's not what really resonated with my listeners. So it was learning how to be a better storyteller and uh, that I think that's what makes a successful podcast. Every podcast that I listen to and enjoy, the host is a good storyteller. He, they know how to move the the conversation along. And, you know, it's, it's entertaining, so much so that sometimes I'd listen to the same episode a couple times. Uh, so I guess that's, you know, one of my big takeaways. And for...
0: Well, I guess that counted as takeaway, but do you have any advice hmm. for people who, not those looking to start a podcast, but those who already started one or maybe in their beginning to mid-stretch?
1: Yeah, I'd say learn learn how to edit your show like from both the content, so that would be the story time. But... From a content standpoint and a quality. Like there's so many great tools out there just to make it sound better. Like I use a website called Auphonic. Like if you don't know how to edit through Audacity or anything, you can take your file and upload it to this website, and there's all kinds of presets on there, like noise reduction and audio leveling, and just run it through there. It takes about five minutes and then you download it and your show actually sounds so much better. Now they have different free plans and paid plans so it depends on how much you've budgeted if you have a budget for this Uh, but it's totally worth it so if you don't want to spend hours and hours like editing everything now you'll still have to do a content edit to make Mm -hmm. the episode shorter and take out some words but from a standpoint of like it sounds cleaner that's like one big thing but for me editing because if you don't have a podcast that sounds good people aren't going to listen to it Mm
0: -hmm. quality matters
1: yeah, quality so totally with all the content out there. I mean, we are inundated. This is not the 80s with a TV chan, you know, a TV with like 12 channels. Yeah. Like everyone is trying to grab our attention and we are having shorten we're having a much more short attention span than ever. So you got to hit them from the beginning and you got to make a good
0: quality product. Well, I think that's all the questions we have for you right now. Cece, do you have anything else? Do you want to say anything else, kind of plug where to find you and whatnot?
1: Yeah, I would say uh, you can find me at Chefs Without Restaurants. Uh, Instagram's a great place, and I'm just at Chefs Without Restaurants. If you want to come look at some food stuff, my podcast is not just for people who have food businesses or want to start one. Uh, like I said, I think we have some really great guests. We have some interesting guests. Uh, I had Dan Dute on, who is an actor and comedian who is on the show Cobra Kai. You know, like that's a fun episode to listen to because I've never had a stand-up comedian on my show otherwise. So I really try and keep it interesting. Um, There will be some business stuff in there. But come on by and just listen to some good old uh, storytelling.
0: So, Chris, um, thank you so much for coming on. And to everyone listening, I hope you enjoyed as well. Thank you guys so much for listening.
1: And have a good Sunday.